0: Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. I did say this afternoon uh, that we'll get out because the message uh, today is, uh, I think, important for us, and uh, I I believe the Lord is going to help us with a few things. In fact, today will be part one of the message. We'll finish it up um, next Sunday. We're going to read two sections of Scripture that are uh, related together, and it will also, I pray, by God's grace put some practical legs on what God is calling us to do as a church. Uh, what we started last Sunday was talking about what is the foundation of this church? What is God calling us to do? And last week we talked about our uh, purpose and priority is coming together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that is our focus as a congregation of believers that we're lifting our hearts in worship to the Lord, And today we are going to uh, speak about, that, uh, about living joyfully. We touched on that last week. I'm going to expand that this week in a way in which I believe, uh, again, the Lord will help us to put some practical legs on what he is calling us to do as his people. So I'm really going to ask you, I don't normally ask this, I'm going to ask you to uh, maybe, maybe take some notes. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, to be in prayer this week about the message. Um, I'm going to supply you uh, my notes. I'm going to clean them up a little bit uh, and I'm going to supply you my notes as well uh, because I think it's that important for what God is calling us and speaking to us to do. So I'm going to read an extended portion of Scripture this morning uh, out of Mark, uh, chapter four, beginning at verse 35, and we're going to go through chapter five and verse 20. So one of the things that I don't want you to do is kind of zone out on me. You know, so often I've been, believe me, I've, I've, I've been in the pew a lot of times, and often our mind can run in different directions. And so what I'd like us to pray to do today is that God helps us to focus together toward both the text of Scripture and uh, what God has given as, uh, I believe, the exegesis of this passage uh, for us. So if you'll stand with me as we read the Word of the Lord together, we're going to start in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, we're going to go all the way through chapter 5 and verse 20. Verse 35, on that day when evening came, he said to them, Jesus said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Chapter five and verse one. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him any more, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gnashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice, he says, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he, Jesus, was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain, and the demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and 2,000 of them, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Lord Jesus, I pray today that uh, by your mercy, you would help Lord in the preaching of the word Father, I'm convinced uh, through the reading of Scripture that preaching is a necessary activity in the life of the church. And while preaching has often uh, fallen on hard times in these days, Lord, we pray that once again that you will help us, not just in this church, but Lord, in gospel preaching churches everywhere, that the power of the Spirit would work through the faithfully preached Word. And so God, we ask you today to speak to us, Lord. I pray, Lord, as I've prayed in times past, that there would be nothing that I would do or say that would take away or add to your word, God, but that you would work through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to speak to your people what is an on-time word for this day and this people in this time in which we live. So God, help me today to do that for your glory. Give us ears to hear what you would speak to us, Lord, and help us to digest this in our heart, in our mind, in our spirit, Lord, that we would faithfully live it out, not simply being hearers of the word, God, but also being doers of the word. So, Lord, we thank you for these things. We thank you for your grace and mercy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So, from the beginning, what we have uh, seen as a local body of believers, uh, what are important Things to us: the four kind of four areas or four important things are to to worship Jesus, uh, focus our attention on the Lord as a congregation, lift up uh, pure worship to the Lord, to live joyfully before Him, being being freed from the past, being freed from the guilt and shame of the past, so that we can live joyfully before the Lord, find our our purpose and our focus in Christ, and to serve others. And again, today we'll. Focus Focused our attention on that second one of living joyfully, actually today and next Sunday. In fact, today what we will get through is essentially the introduction to next week. So if you've made any plans, cancel them so that you can be in church next Sunday and hear the rest of the message. Don't rely on simply going back and listening to it online. I understand. uh, A few weeks ago, I had to join online. It wasn't. uh, it wasn't um uh, good for me to be with everyone uh, for various reasons and I had to join online as well so I do understand that uh, but I can tell you and and what I am convinced of is that there is something distinct and different when God's people are together in present community that it is watching a message online where you're not in the context of the body of Christ again I understand for short seasons of time I understand the idea of protecting health. I understand all these things but well, we have to be careful not to be logged into a culture that says that's okay all of the time. It's not okay all of the time. I'm reminded of the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones who didn't even like his sermons being recorded. Some of them are recorded but he really didn't like it because he felt there wasn't the power of God at work that was present when he was actually preaching the word to people in front of him and he feared that people would take the message or the tape or whatever it was and that would be the sole substance of what they heard. There's something meaningful with God's people gathering together and worship to hear the preached word of the Lord. So thank you for being here. <clears throat> And again, I understand that there are those who are watching this morning online because of health challenges and other things, and we fully respect that. And they fully understand as well that they want to be here in present with, and be present with us. It might seem like these two particular stories, Jesus uh, calming the sea And the story of the demoniac are not related. But the reason why I felt it was necessary to read these two together is because they are related. In fact, they are clearly uh, tied together in uh, Mark's telling of the events of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We see this particular story found in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28 and in Luke chapter 8 verse 26 and again here in the latter part of chapter 4 and uh, the first 20 verses of chapter 5. Mark gives us the most detail of any of the gospel writers. Now remember that each gospel writer had a particular uh, angle that they were coming at in telling the story of who Jesus was and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there were certain things that were important to some of them to emphasize. And this was important for Mark to emphasize a lot of the detail in this particular story for you and for me. We hear in uh, Mark's retelling, Mark only tells us about one demoniac. If you were to turn to Matthew, Matthew tells us about two. Now, there are those who uh, talk about this story and they say, See, there is a contradiction in Scripture. And so if, if Brother Greg and I were standing here in the front and he and I were talking and his wife was standing next to him and later on in that afternoon, Mike was talking to me and something from that conversation came up and I said, Greg and I were talking, am I telling the truth? I'm certainly telling the truth. I may omit that his wife was standing next to him, but in the retelling to my wife, I may say, today I was talking to Greg and Terry. Is that also the truth? Of course, it's the truth. But there are maybe a different focus or a different angle for different audiences. I'm, just, I'm sharing one more point about this for your own study. There have been those who have tried to poke holes in this story because they say this place, this country of the Gerasenes doesn't exist in the context that it's talked about in scripture. There's actually where, where excavations have happened and this, this place has happened. Uh, it's too far inland and it's not near a cliff for the swine to run down the cliff and drown themselves in the ocean. So this story has to be false because it, it, it couldn't have happened in this way. People will begin to try to poke holes. But always remember the Bible is always true. Let God be true and every man a liar, right? Amen. So in more recent history, more excavations are done. And what we come to find out, there in fact is a city. And it's very close to the Sea of Galilee, where there's an exactly a cliff. It's in the region or the roundabout area of the Gerasenes, and it's very clear that that is exactly where this event took place. Let God be true, and every man a liar. So I just want to share those things up front with you in your own reading, because what I hope you do is go home and study the Scriptures for yourself. I hope you go home, and you read, and you look, and if you're looking and you come across some of those things, there's always a logical explanation when we pray for God to give us the answer and give us the understanding. So why are these stories important for us to communicate the truth that God wants us to live joyfully? And I'm going to restate the question and say, what, is it, what does it mean to live joyfully? What does it mean to live joyfully? And to live joyfully, we have to to be free. There is no joy in bondage. There's no joy in addiction. There is no joy in the pursuit of the flesh. Last night, we just had a beautiful worship time together and our our brother Johan just brought an on-time focused word that we must as believers walk in the holiness of the Lord and holiness brings joy to us. In fact, what I've observed in my life, it's that some of those who worship the Lord the most vibrantly and joyfully are those who have been delivered from the deepest darkness. They realize the depths from which they have come and how God has lifted them up and delivered them and now it, there is this overflowing joy for what God has done. And I believe as a congregation that for us to live joyfully, we must be a growing disciple walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And to be a growing disciple, we must be in community with other people. Must be in community with other people. We must know and understand How to take authority over the darkness of this present world through Christ Jesus. We must live in freedom from the bondage and oppression of sin. And so when we look at these two stories, we encounter first Jesus who says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. So they are uh, in the region nearest the Israelites, and they're going over to an area of Decapolis, which is more of a Gentile region, a pagan uh, region. Jesus tells his disciples, Let's go. Jesus is sovereign God who knows everything that is coming ahead, who knows every situation that is going to be encountered. He tells his disciples from the get-go in verse 35, let us go over to the other side. And so they get in the boat, or Jesus is in the boat, and they begin to go over to the other side at the command of the Lord. Remember here, and a point, quick point to be made, Jesus knows the storm is coming and says, Let's get in the boat and go through the storm. And so this storm arises on the Sea of Galilee, which is not an unusual occurrence. The Sea of Galilee is several hundred feet uh, below sea level. Uh, it, the, the terrain rises up around it. And what often happens because the change in air temperature, that storms can rush in on the Sea of Galilee pretty quickly. So to encounter a storm on the Sea of Galilee, particularly for this group, many of whom were experienced Fishermen, it would not have been a great challenge. They would have understood one how to tell what is happening in the skies. They would have understood what was what was coming, and even if the storm caught them off guard, they would have understood sort of how to navigate. But there was something different about this storm, and it's something different about how the Lord even addresses this particular storm, and it tells us that this particular storm is not just an average storm or a normal storm or a circumstantial storm that comes on the Sea of Galilee. But this storm is demonic in nature and it's told to us by the language that doesn't always translate very well into English. But the same language that Jesus is using when he says, hush and be still is the same language that he's already used in Mark to cast out demons up until this point it's not used in other instances but it is used here in this instant hush and be still the rebuke that is happening against the wind and the waves it's the same language the same concept the same understanding that until this point has only been reserved for demonic forces I also believe as we read Scripture and we see this particular story that this is the reason that Jesus has not moved. If this was a natural storm that had come upon them, there may be more reason for Jesus to kind of say, Hey guys, we're going to get through this. This is just kind of changes in the atmosphere that are causing this storm. But instead, Jesus stays asleep in the stern of the boat. Because Jesus is not bothered by demonic storms. Jesus is not bothered by demons who have no authority over him. He's not awakened by the storm. He is not awakened by the waves that are cresting over the boat. He is not awakened by the boat taking on water. Can you imagine? Directly in this region, archaeologists have found boats that are dated to the first century. And, the type of boats that most likely Jesus and his disciples would have been in would have been large enough to probably hold about 12 to 16 people. So imagine a boat not bigger than that, about 12 to 16 people, uh, four areas to kind of row for the oars, kind of um, very not too deep, the boat not too, a depth not too big. Uh, And so, the Bible says waves are cresting over the boat. I mean, my, when I'm reading that, I'm thinking, Jesus is getting wet here, isn't he? You know, it's not, why is, why is that not waking him up? I mean, I know he's, he's, he's fully God, he's, he's fully man, he's, he's tired from teaching, I understand that, but he's asleep and he's not bothered by it. He's at, he's at perfect peace. And so it's not the rocking back and forth. It's not the wind. It's not the waves that wake him up. What is he awakened by? He's awakened by the cries of his chosen one. You can make the application there yourself. He's awakened by the cries of his chosen one. And what is it in this instance that calms the storm? It's the word of God. The word of God that calms the storm. It's typical for Jesus. At the beginning of his ministry, when he encountered Satan and the temptations of Satan, what was everyone combated with? It was combated with the word of God. How did he combat here in this instance, the demonic forces, the spoken word of God? The word of God. We must know the word of God. We must read the word of God. We must hide the word of God in our heart. We must understand what God has said to us through his word. We cannot simply expect that we're going to combat the enemy, combat the devil, combat his onslaught against us if we're not spending time in God's Word, if we're not refreshing ourselves regularly in the Word of God and is illuminated by His Holy Spirit. As Jesus rebukes the storm, there is immediate calm. And He says to His disciples, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Because the disciples were not able to discern the distinction between a natural storm and a demonic storm. And because they were not able to discern that distinction, they could not take authority over that which they didn't understand. When we read Jesus' words and he asked them the question, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? When we see what had happened previously, Jesus was not afraid, he was not concerned. And Jesus' words to them indicate that faith would have given them discernment as to the type of storm that they were facing, and faith would have given them peace in the midst of that storm, just as Jesus had peace asleep in a boat that is taking on water. My dad uh, used to go deep sea fishing, and I would go with him from time to time, and Part of that is uh, getting in a, a boat that is equipped for those purposes and going 80 to 90 miles off uh, shore and putting your line out and hoping to catch something that's bigger than you are. <laughs> and in uh, the boat, there's actually, if you've not seen one before, uh, in the back of the boat, there is a chair that is bolted uh, to the floor of. The boat, and if you're out there, and in, in in many cases, what they would go out to fish for were were marlin or other again fish bigger than we are. And if you get one on a hook, they're going to put all these rods out. And they've got all these contraptions that lay out to try to catch these fish. And if somebody gets one, the person who gets the rod actually sits in the chair. The chair is called a fighting chair. And they will actually seatbelt and buckle you in uh, to that chair because the fish is stronger than you are and can actually, if you hold on to the rod and you're not in the chair at the right time, the fish will pull you overboard. So they buckle you in, they put the rod in a hole, and they strap the rod in. So you're not getting out of this thing, okay? And so you may spend hours at that time reeling this fish in. And when the fish finally gets close to the stern of the boat, there's a door in the back and the captain of the boat will have the door opened up and he will thrust the ship or the boat in reverse and the back of the boat actually plows in the water, water sweeps in the boat, sweeping the fish in with it and they shut the door. Now imagine if you're there as I was as a young boy sometimes looking and seeing seawater coming in the boat. It can become an unnerving experience. I've been out with my dad at times when storms have arisen. I've been out in the ocean when the engines stop and you're not sure if you're going to make it in. There's fear that's legitimate and real on the ocean. And yet, in this instance, where there was a real and legitimate fear for life, Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? You can be in the boat with Jesus. These were his disciples, whom he loved. They loved him, but he also loved them. You can be in the boat with Jesus, and this happened at Jesus' command. And Jesus will still take you in the boat with him through the storm. So if you've come to faith and you expect that everything is going to go well with you all the time and your conceptualization of what it means to go well... Understand that that's not always the case when we're in Christ. Sometimes Jesus says, let's go over to the other side, not telling you, but him full well knowing that there is a storm of life coming. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't fear. And there are times in those storms when our faith is weak and we cry to Jesus and that yields a peace be still from the mouth of the Savior. And then there are other times, and this is what I want to encourage those of you who have and are walking through your own storms of life to realize. There are times when your faith, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, is stronger than you realize You recognize where the storm is coming from. And even though the storm continues to rage outside of you, you have the faith to rest in Christ and get through to the other side. Sometimes maybe that storm hasn't ceased because by the grace of the Holy Spirit, Resident within you is the faith to see what's going on and continue following the Lord no matter what. What we talked about with Peter last week. Where are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. We realize that. No matter what storm life may throw at me, where else will I go? To whom else shall I turn? And sometimes there are those storms that rage outside of us, just like this particular storm raged outside of the disciples. And then in chapter 5, we see sometimes there are storms that rage within people. Jesus, he cast out the demon in this uh, verses 1 through 20. So again, two stories that are connected in dealing with the demonic uh, forces that were at Work So as the storm calmed, they were in the boat going to the other side. And just uh, a quick note, they got in the boat, they went to the other side, dealt with the demon, and then go back. So there was a move to the other side for a purpose of getting to this man and taking these disciples through through that storm. When they get to the other side, Jesus gets out of uh, the boat and he is on territory, actual ground that had been claimed by this legion of demons. And there was a reason that he was in this territory. It wasn't that he could have said while he was still on the other side, he could have very well said, legion come out of that man on the other side, and the demons would have had to obey. But there was a reason Jesus got in the boat and traveled and set his foot on the territory that had to this point been occupied by a demonic legion immediately as he got out of the boat, the scripture says, there was an unclean spirit that met him. The man had been dwelling among the tombs. Now, the tombs in this instance are not a cemetery like what you and I know that's neatly mowed with nice little stones that you could kind of walk around. It wouldn't have been that. This would have been a Caves with little carve-outs for boxes of bones or uh, uh, entire families or clans would have had a cave in which several bones would have been. And this man, this demon-possessed man was actually living in those caves. So it would be to us today as if we were to go to a cemetery where there was a mausoleum and there was a man actually living in the mausoleum with dead people inside of it. Kind of be repulsive, odd, odd. Not understanding it, it would be something that was really not even within our conceptual framework, and that's exactly what was happening in this instant. Because for the Jews to be around dead things, to be in a cemetery, to be touching bones, was against the law, and it was considered unclean. Let's look at what Jesus does. He asks in verse nine, "What is your name?" What is your name? Why did he care? Why did he care what the demon's name was? Why did it matter to him? Why is this question for us? There's a limited amount of space in scripture. God put in what he wanted us to know. Why is this question and statement here? The name Legion, that was the largest troop unit of the Roman army. About 5,600 troops. The demons occupied this geographical area through a possessed man. The demons present, prevented the normal course of human activity in that area. They essentially claimed ownership of that piece of geography. Matthew 8 and 28 tells us they were so extremely violent that no one could pass by. No one could even go through that area because they were so extremely violent. In other words, this was a demonic stronghold that would not allow the normal course of human activity to take place. The scripture also tells us that people had tried in times past to subdue subdue the demoniac and his activity through many things that were unworkable, binding him with chains and shackles which did not work. Again, a failure to recognize the demonic activity behind the natural manifestation of the man a failure to discern what was happening inside. So instead, let's simply address the effects. Let's bind him and keep him bound so that we can continue on with the lifestyle that we want to continue on with, so we can pass by that way. Let's bind him and just kind of keep him away from us in order that the normal course of activity can now resume. Trying to address the cause of what was going on instead of addressing the spirit behind all the wickedness that was happening. And in the church, I'm afraid at times that we've picked up this idea of behavioral modification equaling deliverance. If we could just teach you how to manage your sin, how to not allow it to manifest itself, to not come out of you, let's teach you and let's help you understand a way in which you can just manage it instead of discerning what is actually behind the sin and dealing with that as Jesus dealt with it over and over and over again. Territory, just like in this instance, must be reclaimed in the name of Jesus. Amen. If I were to just think about the United States of America and think about uh, our country, and I were to name some cities to you, we would, we would find them synonymous with certain sinful practices or activities. It doesn't mean that everybody there is evil or wicked. It, it, it doesn't mean that everything happening there is demonic, but it means there there is something that's kind of controlling that area based on what we know. If I were to say New York to you, my first thought is the ideas of power and wealth. People are longing after those things. If I were to say Washington, D.C., I would say power and control. You may have other things that you think about. If I were to say Las Vegas, I would say wealth and immorality. If I were to say San Francisco, I would say sexual immorality. If I were to say New Orleans, I would say paganism and witchcraft. So even someone who's not spiritual can look at certain geographical territories and see that there are certain sins that are at work in those territories. But I believe those sins are indicative of certain demonic strongholds. And just like the demon had to be identified, what is your name? The demonic strongholds must also be identified right. so that prayers can effectively be made to tear down these strongholds. 2 right. Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 and 4 says For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for what? The destruction of fortresses. God's spiritual weapons must be focused toward clearly identified demonic strongholds. Jesus was specific to the wind he says hush and be still to the demon he says come out and go away so I think as we look at these passages and as we think about digging a little more deeply even into them next week there's two applications I want us to think about one, as a church, we have to spend time praying and asking for discernment for our city. So one of the first things that we do when we say, we're going to win our city for Jesus. We're going to do something for God in Charlottesville. We're going to see God work. We're going we're to work and we're going to see God's spirit come down. If we're going to talk about that, if we're going to think about that, then we have to be specific where we're going to focus our prayers because we can just kind of take our machine gun and shoot all over the place and not hit anything. But if we want to win our city for the Lord, if we want to think about what it means for Charlottesville to come under the power of the Holy Spirit, for revival to hit our city, and revival to hit our city in the churches, and in the marketplace, and in the halls of government, then the church has to first rise up and pray for discernment. What is the name? Yes, that's, right. that's good. What am I praying against? <laughs> what am I focusing my attention towards? I don't know and understand why at times that God does not heal people. It's all in his will and his plan and his purpose. But I do know, I think sometimes it's for us to walk through that storm. Right? To me, some of the most beautiful things, when I, when I sit And the the beauty of being a pastor of a congregation is that you learn people's stories. You learn different people's stories and you see people walk faithfully through storms of life. God didn't change things. If I was there, I would have changed it. I would have stopped it. I would have tried to stop it. But God in His gracious, sovereign will said, no, they're going to walk through it. And I want to tell you as looking at some of you who have walked through those storms, walked through those trials, who are right now doing it faithfully. It builds my faith. And when I see you sometimes step forward to pray or take up the offering or do something else, my heart rejoices because I see someone who's walking and is faithful. But I also know at times God calls us to focus our attention and our prayers specifically. And sometimes it's a little easier when it's a means of healing because if I'm struggling with say cancer or some other disease, I can say that publicly. I can speak it publicly and all of you can rally around and focus prayers towards that specific problem in my specific life. But when we look at things in a more uh, uh, in a larger capacity as we think about our city, what we must pray for is discernment. God, what's going on in this region? What is the, what is the enemy who is seeking? Our brother prayed today that there will be no one lost in this area. If that's our, our, our prayer and our desire, we have to also realize that, that someone A a demonic force wants all of us to be lost. And so what tools and tactics is the enemy using in our city to try to destroy and divide? What would it be? As through prayer and discernment and walking the streets of the city and being downtown on East High and having some prayer meetings and those who God begins to give some discernment while we stand on the geography. Just like the Lord went into the territory of the enemy and said, what is your name? What is it for us to stand in the territory that the enemy has tried to claim of his own will and of his own accord for you and I to stand there and pray and get discernment from the Lord for what is going on so that now we can begin to focus our prayers and our attention toward what is happening in our city. I shared with someone uh, this week uh, uh, a a, a picture that actually May had shared with me uh, a few weeks ago, and it was of this uh, statue. Where exactly was that, May? May. Next to where? There's a method. method okay. <clears throat> I won't make a comment about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, so the picture that uh, she sent. I I thought about showing it, but I'm not going to because because it's lewd. <laughs> it's of a statue that's in that area. I don't encourage you to drive by it. Uh, but it's of a statue that someone had made that was in that area, and it's the. The image, if you were to if you were to see it, uh, the image is of uh, what looks to be like a demon kneeling, and uh, I think he it's hands are up or something. And that that statue is called the messenger, the messenger. And when you look at it, it looks demonic, and we think idols and demons and all that sort of stuff. That's like, you know, people in third world countries, that's not here. That doesn't happen here. You know, we're more intellectual than that. And the people in third world countries look at us and say, are you stupid? Don't you see it? Don't you realize? You've been lulled to sleep. Don't you understand what's going on? And you've Relegated everything to the intellect and the material world, and you fail to see that there is a spiritual battle happening right in our city. What I would say is an idol for demonic worship sits right there. So we have to pray and ask God to reveal to us what the demonic strongholds are in our region. We have to pray against that. I believe we have to be on the geography. One of the things I've thought about with East High as we've sought to establish a ministry down there, many of you have been faithful to come down there and I appreciate that. One of the things we started out saying was we want to see some fruit out of that area. We want to see some fruit of people who will come out of that specific area. And over the times we've had Saturday night worship, we've not seen a lot of people out of that area. We've seen very few people out of that area. Uh, Until last night, I think there was one. One who came last night. And I've thought about that and I thought, Lord, do we continue with this? Do we not continue with this? What are you saying to us? And last night in that beautiful time of worship and prayer and the power of God's word, I'm not trying to kind of push the envelope here against other people who might have other opinions, but I think we got to be there. We've got to be on the geography. We've got to be praying. And the beauty of us going down there is that, you know, the old, the old song that came out of the Brownsville revival is, I went to the enemy's camp. Well, see, we don't have to be upset or scared. We don't have to be fearful. We can go into the enemy's camp with the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can tell it to name itself and we can pray that God would remove it out from among us and we can truly see revival in our day. So these words, these scriptures provide, speak to us in the idea or concept of things that that are, are global in our city to a corporate people but I, I, I want to also leave you that this applies to our personal lives as well James 5 and 16 says therefore confess your sins to each other why why do we have to confess our sins to one another why Can't we, when we have sinned, just quietly go by ourselves and whisper it to God and turn around and say, I'm not going to do it anymore and keep moving on and nobody knows. That's it. That's the best way, right? But James says, don't do that. He says, that doesn't mean we don't confess to the Lord. We do confess to the Lord. But when we're struggling and there is a, besetting sin particularly, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So, identify it, enact the spiritual weapon of prayer so that you may be healed. And he says, for the prayer of a righteous man has great power to Prevail. This is why I'm grateful for the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. That our faithful brothers and sisters lead here at the church on Mondays at 6.30. Because part of Celebrate Recovery is saying what went wrong. Confessing and praying that you may be healed. Confess or name the stronghold in your life. To those who are able to exercise the spiritual weapons and the spiritual weapons must be in action prayer in this case, in order for there to be healing and wholeness. For the prayer of a righteous man has great power to prevail. Again, our dear brother Johann last night spoke to us about walking in the Spirit so as not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Someone, I read this somewhere uh, at one point, and I thought it was a good phrase. But there is a sense in the Scriptures that there is power in communicative righteousness. What that means is that I'm living righteous today, and I'm living righteous tomorrow, and I'm living righteous the next day, and the next day, and the next day. There is a power in walking faithfully before the Lord, continually, and James affirms that, that a prayer of a righteous man, someone who has a history of righteousness before the Lord, has great power to prevail. Amen. As a church who I do believe God has called us to be a witness in our city, it is in important for us to discern the strongholds in our own lives and to seek deliverance and so that we can then faithfully seek the Lord for our city and discern those areas in which the enemy has a foothold and reclaim that territory for the glory of Jesus. Can you imagine as people are free from the bondages of sin in their own life and our city is free from the bondage of sin corporately What joy there would be. Our hearts ought to be saddened at what was going on at the beginning of this story with the demoniac. It was a man who had been controlled by demons who was simply living among dead things. And that's the life of sin. That's the life of bondages, and that's the life of stronghold. Every sin, every bondage, every stronghold. Picture it as someone living among dead things in a tomb, unclean, not able to get out. Stop. People try to help. It doesn't work. You lose hope. There's no hope. God is not going to deliver me. God is not going to help me. There's going to be no release from this. I will go to my grave like this. It doesn't have to be that way. If we look at the scriptures and we want to get back to the book of Acts, we see the power of God in the people of God. Amen, amen. But you and I have to activate our most holy faith by the grace of the Lord and ask God for discernment for what we're dealing with so that we can focus our prayers, our time and attention towards what God would have us to do. Andrew Murray, who wrote a lot on prayers with the Lord, wrote a lot on prayer. I was Uh, uh, listening to the book on, uh, I say book on tape, I guess it's not tape anymore, uh, whatever it is, Uh, but listening to the book. And one of the things that has stuck with me is that there are some things God does not do except by prayer. You know, we can get in this concept, God is going to do whatever he wants, when he wants to do it and how he wants to do it. God's just going to do it. And what that does is that puts us back in the seat of a spectator. I'm going to just watch what God is going to do. God's going to do big and great things. God, we pray, do big and great things in our city. We'll see what God's going to do. I think that's what the enemy wants us to think. That we're, we're an audience And as we're in this audience, we're sitting out in the stadium watching Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, Trinity and unity. We're watching them do their thing. Go God! We're watching! But I don't get that sense when I read this word. There's actually something that I have to get my will in gear and determine that I'm actually going to do something for God's glory. That God has not called me to sit back and be a spectator, but God has called me to take up spiritual weapons and pull down some strongholds in a city and to see some people truly, honestly delivered. Then there is going to be power. Then there will be rejoicing in the city because God has delivered Delivered people who were once in bondage. I've gone to Bible college, I've gone to seminary, I've gone to a whole lot of things. And I can tell you some of what I've preached to you today I never heard before. And I can be content, and a lot of them can be content, to sit on the sidelines and just watch what God is going to do, and let's just talk about, we're going to talk about the genre of Scripture, and we're going to talk about what this means, and we're going to teach you what these verses means and how these things work together. We're going to talk about it, but there is a time when you and I have to get dirty and muddy in the field. (coughs) There is a time when there's action required by the people of God to do a work for Jesus. And the time is now. The time is now. It is now. It's not later. It's not some other time. There's a move right now. I talk with pastors throughout the week. We have groups that meet together. People that talk. And I can tell you whether it's Baptist or Independent or whomever else. People are sensing that God is ready to move and do something. And what I believe He is doing is stirring His people. And some of you, me included, would be content to sit on the sidelines. I'm not content anymore. One of the beautiful things about the start of this church was that so many people said, I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry for more. And that's not to make this name great or anybody else's name great, but when you get hungry people together, there was a song my uh, sister Terry led us in last night. I talked about I'm hungry and thirsty. I'm hungry and thirsty. And so I want to tell you, as a church, we're going to look at things. And if you want bingo nights at Riverstone, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> and. You know, we're not, we're not just going to cloister ourselves in here and say, oh God, we thank you that we're not like those out there. we got to be on mission, brother and sister. we got to be on mission. we got to be on mission. And God's calling us, our first step, to ask Him for discernment, to pray and ask Him for discernment. And that's why I do believe that what we're doing here in Hollymead, we're doing at East High, And what God's calling us to do in Crozet, we could do prayer meetings for Crozet right here, couldn't we? We could do prayer meetings for downtown right here. There's something about taking our feet and stepping on the geography and saying, enemy, no more. No more. No more. No more. more. God's going to show. God's going to reveal. And I'm going to pray against what you're doing. And God's going to break the stronghold. And I will not fear. I'm not going to fear. I may have to go through a storm of life. I may have to go through a challenge. But I know Jesus is with me. I am not going to fear. So let's stand and pray together. What I ask you to pray uh, are in the two areas we spoke about today. And again, we're going to look at this a little more deeply next week. But in two areas that I feel the Lord has led us to think about. One, we can't pray for our city in the way that will avail much. We we can't see city transformation in the way in which our prayers will avail much if those of us who are praying those prayers are not righteous in our walk before the Lord. So in this church, what I... What I want you to know and what I hope you understand is there is no shame in, I want to be a little careful while I say this, but there is no shame in your sin. There is shame in sin, but there's no shame in coming to confess your sin and naming your sin, so that brothers and sisters can gather around you to help you get rid of the sin. So, rather than wallow in sin, get deliverance from sin and have joy in the Lord. Because what we want is you to be free so that you also can pray righteous prayers that avail much, specifically in the geographical territory that God has called us to. So, if you're struggling today, don't be ashamed to say, I'm struggling. So, Lord, we pray first and foremost, God, that if there are those who are here today who are struggling, God, I think of our, our precious Celebrate Recovery group who meets here faithfully. They put it in such a succinct, kind, respectful way. If you have a hurt habit or hang-up that you need help with, we want to help you. That's what I believe this morning, oh God. That there are people here who may have that hurt or hang up. The one thing I know is they're not living joyfully because you can't live joyfully with those things in your life. There's no peace. There's no joy. Paul talked about it in the book of Romans. I want to be free. I long to be free. Who's going to deliver me from the body of death? There's deliverance from the body of death. Yes, make confession. Yes, focus prayer specifically. But get freedom. Get freedom. And then, Lord, we ask you to hear our prayers also for this region. I don't say just Charlottesville, but the region around this city. That we wouldn't be content with things as they are. But that you would compel us to get in the boat, to go to the other side, to put our feet in the territory that the enemy has said, this is mine. As we step foot on that geography, oh God, you will give wisdom and discernment to be able to speak with the authority of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. call out what is going on and to tell it to go to go, to go that there would be people who would live in freedom so God I pray you help us today as I sing this song I pray that you would maybe make a place of prayer, Maybe, maybe your heart is touched to pray for our city maybe you are praying for this specific area where this building is in this Hollymead and Forest Lakes community that there needs to be a revival among these homes there needs to be a revival among these people that you would pray you would intercede you would ask God for discernment and wisdom God what's going on here God what are you revealing to me here oh God that I can pray and I can focus my prayer my effort towards that end that the demonic stronghold would be torn down those fortresses would be torn down oh God in the name of Jesus Maybe you say today you're fighting your own spiritual battle. You need freedom. You know that you do not have the joy of the Lord. You need others to pray with you, to seek the Lord on your behalf. This is an opportunity. Maybe even where you are, to share it with someone. Maybe here at the front, so that others can intercede and pray with you. We're going to sing. As the Lord moves on you for ministry, come, seek him. Let's seek him together in these next few moments.